When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Some cars are comfy on the inside but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated, and right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. All right, it's film study. We're back again talking about preseason week three as the Ravens continue their streak of winning preseason meaningless football games. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? That's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing not bad at all. Um, we've got a guest tonight. Sarah Ellison is going to join us. You guys know the name from a lot of Ravens media and stuff over previous years and uh, the Man in the Crowd podcast, which was the Harbaugh Brothers podcast which i know i could relate to because i'm competitive with my brother so i'm sure a lot of people enjoyed that podcast sarah welcome to film study guys thanks for having me i've 
always been watching Ken from afar. I honestly don't know that there's a better uh, person to really dig into the film study. Really good stuff, and I'm happy to be here. All right. The check's in the mail, Sarah. I appreciate it. <laughs> so, all right. Well, we're going to talk and kind of really dig in today on the defense of this preseason game. But I think it seemed like the best thing about this preseason game was that it ended early. And yeah. Is this just a sign of just the uglier preseason games? Uh, Lamar Jackson didn't even start. We're seeing this not just in the Ravens, but across the board. Is preseason football going to go away? I, I tell you, this was a confluence of events this week in particular, because we had two separate games at least where there was sort of a mutual agreement to sit the starting quarterback. And then we had that abortion of a game up in Canada where they played on an 80-yard field and, and sat everybody. So just a very strange set of circumstances. And yes, it certainly certainly tells you these combined practices were a lot better than the game, I think. I think that you're seeing from coaches, even John Harbaugh saying, you know, at the podium that he's in favor of reducing the preseason games. Uh, and, and this game really was, I mean, with the lightning, just, you know, the, there's no starting quarterbacks. It, it's just fans are paying a premium dollar to go out and see it. However, there, it is a complicated issue, So, and I think that the NFL sees it, and I know that they need to address it, but to scale back four games from a regular price ticket, you know, they'd have to figure out different sources of revenue before it just goes away. Well, I think that's an important point there, Sarah. The price, the total price you pay for season tickets will not go down just because Correct. they kill off preseason games. So it's going to be the same amount of revenue that teams are going to have to have. But think of it this way. You not really are. You aren't really paying for those preseason games now. Those aren't. If you're a season ticket holder, it's not what you think of your money going to. You're paying for the regular season. Those eight regular season games, maybe to a small degree, the the chance to get playoff tickets. And uh, you know, it's it's those aren't the games you're playing for anyway. I would have loved them to just change the season ticket values to show zero zero and then the full value of the other tickets all the way through. That would at least allow the secondary market to operate maybe a little differently on on getting face value for tickets. And then you have to somehow uh, allow fans inside those joint practices so they're, they're not losing out on some sort of look at the team before they go to the regular season. Yeah, important point, because they play these often. One of the great things about the joint practices is they can play them on two fields at once, 11 on 11 at the same mm -hmm. time. So you can't really do that at the stadium. It doesn't work for that. And they have to have them at some other facility. Or maybe you have them at two places at the same time. I, I don't know if that really works for special teams, but they'd have to, they would have to find a way, as you say, to do it. The, the fan options seem like you can easily do that, like the Ravens did a few years ago with having a practice in Annapolis and stuff. And you can reach the fans in other ways. But I don't, what I don't hear anyone talking about is the money loss on TV revenues for preseason games. Yeah, that's a good point. As we said, it's very complicated. you got to work through a lot. All right. Well, let's get into – actually, even before we get into that preseason game, we got to go and talk about this uh, signing that the Ravens did today. Yeah, a little bit of troubling signing. The Ravens signed a 29-year-old linebacker, Worlow, who's played with Atlanta, Detroit. I think he's been with the Eagles. Uh, and bumped around the league a lot, inside linebacker. Uh, he started 52 NFL games as a UDFA. Uh, surprising that they would add somebody this late in camp. And the first thing that strikes to me is maybe Chris Board's injury is more serious than the Ravens are letting on, or maybe there's another injury that we haven't heard about yet among those inside linebackers. 
Uh, I, I mean, I could see. I think that was a lot of people's initial reaction is there an undisclosed injury. Um, I mean, I guess there could be. It seemed as if both Kenny Young and Peanut finished the game healthy. Uh, there were reports that Chris Board was running both at the, the before the preseason game and at the joint practices. My gut tells me it, it isn't about an injury. I think it's more about the Ravens wanting to have wanting to address two things at the inside linebacker position. I think one depth, uh, it is three players. And then the second thing is the inexperience and youth. So it's not that it's just three players, but they're inexperienced. You got two guys that are second year players and then peanuts a little bit older, but he's really making a position switch. He's going mm-hmm. from weak side to, to that Mike linebacker. And so if you bring in somebody like, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Is it Orlo? Um, that brings a little bit more experience. Then the other side is, is I still think there's a special teams value that could potentially be there because Chris Board, I think, had the number one snaps in special teams last year. Peanut was pretty high. These guys are now both going to be your starters. So you need a little bit of, re- of, of relief there, and I think Warlow brings experience on special teams also. Yeah, you know, that makes a lot of sense because because relying on, say, Brendan Trawick, who might be as good or better a special teams player, would also just be adding a sixth safety to your team. Correct. So it makes more sense to add a fourth inside linebacker. And that is a position where you certainly get injuries during the year and you need two of them at all times, you know, to, to be healthy during a game at the very minimum. Uh, and they're even still even with that platoon last year, very exceptionally at the will linebacker spot. Uh, with, with Peanut, uh, Young, and Levine all taking snaps there. So I think that's something they'll try and do again because, uh, you know, Martindale, one of the things he's put his stamp on in terms of defense is being a snap manager. So it does help to have another another player there at inside linebacker. I just don't know where they're going to get the roster spot from because for him to make the team, somebody else obviously has to be cut, exposed to waivers, whatever you want to call it, until, uh, you know, everybody is, quote, unquote, healthy again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it it could be a roster crunch, um, and I mean, there's other things. I mean, injuries are are making this very gray. Uh, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about Tavon Young later. And I mean, if they want the chance to bring him back, um, if he doesn't have surgery, he's got to be on the initial 53 man roster if you want him to be a candidate to take off of IR. So right. there's still a lot of moving pieces. Yeah, that's that's an important point. I think we ought to we ought to clarify clarify that to people out there because most people don't know that if you're not in the media, you don't follow as closely. You have to make the 53 man roster in order to be put on IR that you can bring back during the year, an IRDTR designation. Correct, correct. And so a lot of people think you can just IR a player. Well, you can now if you want to IR a young player, but you lose him for the year and you cannot bring him back in midseason. So you've got to get that guy on on the starting 53, which means somebody else gets exposed to being taken, whether that's a lineman on the on the fringe of the roster like Patrick McCarry or somebody else who might be very useful to the Ravens down the road. Right, and that's why you'll still see at these press press conferences, you'll see the media, they're still asking Harbaugh over and over and over again, what's the update on Tavon Young? They want to know if he's going to decide to have surgery. Because if he has surgery, then they don't need to use a 53-man roster spot on that initial one because there's, there's, you're not bringing them back. But if he doesn't have surgery, then you do need to you do need to wait to put him on IR until after that initial 53. So you, we really want to find out if he's going to have surgery. 
That's it's very interesting to hear that there's still really hope for that. I'd kind of given up hope as soon as it was announced as a neck injury that there'd be any chance of him returning. But uh, it's uh, interesting to hear that there are people still hoping for that. I know how he bristles with injury questions, and I often stand o- over <laughs> at the, near the podium, and, and I, I feel the wrath towards the general side I'm on of injury questions. So uh, uh, anyway, I, I don't yeah. like to go there. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on the time of year. Sometimes he's open, but the closer we get to the season, the, the more tight-lipped he becomes. There you go. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about the game, Sarah, and some of the things we saw uh, from the defense in this one. I thought one of the interesting things to me was how Martindale started to open up more of the playbook, particularly in those first two drives. Now, it was only 10 plays plus another that was a penalty uh, that was uh, negated a play uh, with the starters. But during that time, he did a number of things. I kind of want to go down my list here, but... Um, he started with the nickel, and I thought one of the interesting things was Brandon Carr got the first shot to play the nickel. Not wholly surprising, given his play there last year, but he's the first guy that they they look for in that role. Yeah, I think that last year we constantly had this debate of, you know, who's going to be the starting of the, of the top three? Because we have three starting caliber corners with Brandon Carr and uh, Humphrey and Jimmy Smith. Well, you know, obviously you don't want Tavon to go down and he's the most natural nickel, but now that problem is, I mean, problem, I mean, it's a, it was a good problem to have, is now you've got your three best corners on the field. And, and like you said, Brennan Carr, I didn't even know this, PFF, I saw today, put out a breakdown of what he did last year. He had t- Brennan Carr had 244 slot snaps last year, and 135 of them became coverage snaps. Of those 135 co- coverage snaps in the slot, he only allowed 13 catches for an average of 1.33 yards. He was wow. very effective, very effective. Never gave up a touchdown in, in any of those. And so you got him. And and I, I just think for all those that wanted to trade Jimmy Smith, this is why the Ravens wouldn't do it. I mean, you, you imagine if you had traded Jimmy and you really couldn't put Carr in the middle now, and now you for sure are, are on – relying on Cyrus Jones, who's okay, but he's, he's also not Brandon Carr. So, uh, so good on the Ravens for not trading Jimmy or even, you know, who knows if they explored it, but they, they didn't do it. There's been no whisper that they even tried to. And, um, and I think Brandon Carr makes you feel better. You'd rather have Tavon here, but he's making you feel better about the loss. Yeah, I, I think they have other options besides that. So, I mean, think Anthony Averett playing on the outside would have been another choice. And and he's a player that I think it's very important for the Ravens to figure out what do they have from him. And can he can he play slot? Is he the outside corner they really hope he is? Because he's, he's long enough to, to, to play on the outside. But maybe he'd be a net more natural fit in the middle. Or maybe they already know. He's played a very little bit of emergency slot corner last year against Kansas City. It's only a handful of snaps. But he's played a little bit there in this last game. And so he was a player that I'm, I was trying to figure out, you know, what do the Ravens have? But the Ravens really did. Last year, they used a four-man rotation for three spots, which included a lot of Carr playing at nickel. But it's interesting the points you brought up about just how effective he was at nickel. I had not heard that before. That's very impressive. Yeah, and I do agree that they will, will get out. I think it'll be matchup dependent also. I mean, you'll see safeties in there. You'll see... Like you said, Averett, um, I think there will be all sorts of people depending on the matchup. 
You, you just mentioned that because that's interesting. That's something we saw when the when those first two series was Big Nickel showing up. And Big Nickel, of course, is when you put three safeties and two corners on the field for your nickel instead of three corners, two safeties. Mm-hmm. And you line up with a safety over the slot receiver. And they did that twice at least with Clark in the first two drives. Once they rushed him off the slot and uh, and rotated a coverage, which worked out. Uh, but anyway, that's that's definitely something they can do. Another thing that they've talked about since we're on the Tavon is that maybe um, Elliott could be using that role. It does not seem like there's a lot of opportunity with the three safeties being very effective for the Ravens, that there's a lot of opportunity for Elliott within those top, top three spots. But as a big nickel, that's a very natural place for the kind of hitter he appears to be. I want to see him on the back end too, but but that would be a great place for him. You're right. There won't be as many um, opportunities at safety with the talent they have at the top there. So, so yeah, I could see I could see all of them getting some looks there, um, and just kind of uh, you know almost as they go, kind of figuring it out. Yeah, yeah, it is. It certainly would lend itself to tinkering well. Let's go into the first two drives against some other things that we saw. On that first third down, we saw Martindale call a standard dime package, which they don't call all that much dime in the preseason, but they did call it with Trawick and they called it with Levine both in this game, so they're each getting a chance to play it. But the, what was made this dime a little unusual relative to the rest of the preseason is they kicked McPhee inside as a pass rusher, and they hadn't done much of that so far, allowing them to get that three outside linebacker look on the field. And here's the one, here's the little additional twist. It was Bowser opposite Judon, which is the pair of Sam linebackers, both in the game at the same time. I, I noticed that also. I was, um, I was happy uh, for a couple reasons. Number one, if you, if you remember back to uh, McPhee's first time with the Ravens, what was so great about him is that you can move him outside and you can move him inside. And, and we know, I mean... We knew from, from Joe Flacco, quarterbacks hate pressure up the middle. It disrupts everything. You can get, you know, somebody step on your foot. You're trying to do your, your drop back. I mean, it just it's just in your face. And, and the Ravens have really, uh, I just don't feel like they've brought a lot of inside pressure. They used to get a lot from Haloti Nada. Uh, they don't get it as much from Brandon Williams and Michael Pierce. Um, so, so kicking McPhee inside is something that I've been wanting the Ravens to be able to do, but you would have needed another edge rusher to step up so that McPhee could could kick in. And so to see that Bowser was doing it, as opposed to somebody like Tim Williams um, or somebody else on the edge, I thought was interesting. I think that that's, um, you know, John Harbaugh gave a big compliment to, to Bowser after the game yesterday and said that he's had a really good camp. And I think that's not only saying it at, at, at the podium, but it's showing it, hey, let's give him some shots in the game and see how it works out. So, uh, you know, I was happy to see McPhee go inside and, and, and hopefully provide more pressure in there. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, McPhee is a, is a wonderful player, both for drawing double teams and getting shoulders turned on the inside that allow for all kinds of blitzing behind that or twisting off that. Uh, you know, off, one of the things that was, well, all kinds of twist games that have been very useful. The Ravens, when their pass rush has been at the best over the years, have had that great dominant inside rusher, whether it's McPhee, Trevor Price, Sam Adams, have, have been all in, on some of the great defenses of the Ravens' time. Uh, Rob Burnett 
uh, Blitz from Over the Nose in 2000 and, and really, uh, sorry, Blitz from Over the Rushed from Over the Nose in 2000 and was a guy from the inside that created a lot of pressure in the Ravens quarter package then. So it's been a, it's been a long history of having a guy. It's kind of like the dime defense itself that's been very successful uh, going with that. When I look at um, uh, the outside guys, though, I think you gain the flexibility of coverage, which mm. automatically really translates to flexibility of the pass rush. So when you're in a third and medium situation, I look for the Ravens to generate a fast pressure somehow. And so that means either a free runner somehow is what they'd like to get on third and five, third and four, third and seven, where, they, where the, the down and distance is such that the quarterback can make a quick throw with a high percentage chance for a completion to get that down. You have to get hands in the air and you have to get a free runner. Those are two ways to prevent it. And I think having those two coverage linebackers gives you options on where, how you come at the quarterback from a different angle. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I, I was wondering because, I, I, you know, I think that Tim Williams has had a pretty good preseason too. Um, and so you're like, well, why don't you just keep Tim Williams and then kick in uh, McPhee, which I'm sure they can do that too. But like, as you said, it brings the, the more flexibility and coverage. Right. So anyway, we saw even more from Martindale on this. We saw a very nice play from Kenny Young, and this was just a play more than a scheme to step up on third and three and plug that right side. And I, I like what Kenny Young has done in camp so far, but that was one of his better plays to collapse that right side where it was open, force the run inside, then take the guy down himself for no gain. And then on fourth and three, they generated a scheme sack. They had two guys blitzing from the secondary. Uh, car off the slot and Awasu delayed from inside linebacker to generate that sack and both those guys actually got there uh, more or less at the same time to get it done yeah when I saw that play last night that's the notes I wrote down was scheming up pressure I have gotten non-stop questions on Twitter you know hey Sarah is is the is the pass rush even existent yes it exists you don't have the game records that was Terrell Suggs or the other pass rushers that you Doomerville or McCrary or whoever, we don't have those guys, but, but the cupboard isn't bare either. And so you've, you've got guys in there and, but, and then you have an amazing secondary, um, who I think is going to be in the top five, maybe number one, when Tavon was still there, I don't think it, it's going to take that big of a step back without him, but that's your strength. So you can leave guys on an Island, like Humphrey, Jimmy Smith, they can handle that. And then you scream, uh, scheme up pressure. Like we did on that with Carr and peanut coming in, that's what you're going to see uh, from Wink, I think. Not necessarily that exact play, but he's Wink is going to be a big factor in, in pressure this year and how he schemes it up. Right. I, I, I could not agree more. I think it's uh, the Ravens are very much about managing snaps, about getting high effort, high energy, high motor, whatever you want to call it, snaps from players who are good contributors. Peanut last year was a guy who performed way over his head in a relatively limited snap count amount because largely because I think he was rested. They had other players along the line who did well with rested. He found the you know various ways to scheme up three outside linebacker packages and get things done. When he went really crazy early in the season, he used four outside linebackers for three plays against Buffalo and got sack interception sack. And then he used a five OLB package against Denver on Four plays, I believe it was, that went for a total of zero yards. So it's just he's he's been a master of not only managing snaps but getting players in at the right time. And a player like McPhee who comes here probably with a limited number of snaps in those knees is, I think, is a kind of player who could really blossom again under Wink. Uh, totally agree, and that's why it's so nice to see 
um, both Tim Williams and Bowser have a solid preseason. I, I mean, they haven't been, you know, off the charts like some people that have just been, you know, like a Ricard that's like stealing all the spotlight. <laughs> They've had solid, solid preseasons, which makes you hope that they could have more breakout years, at least enough to where there's enough rotation that everybody's fresh and, and that would help the pass rush. Yeah, Bowser, just an absurd game last night. I mean, oh. a lot a lot of it was missed, but he, he had the sack and people caught that. And, and you know, it was a three-yard interior sack. He, he, he beat a running back who kind of put his shoulder into him a little funny, but he didn't really try and block him squarely, which he probably should have done on the play. But he bounced right off and got the sack immediately. <laughs> he, what was great is he drew two penalties in that game. And he drew a holding penalty, and I believe he drew the holding penalty on... I, I believe he drew it on the right tackle, who is okay. Mylotta. I may be wrong because because uh, Bowser drew one and and he drew one and and each was on one tackle. But let's talk about him in general. Mylotta is a monolith. He is a six eight, three hundred and forty six pound guy, very much like Orlando Brown in terms of build. Ross Tucker was gushing over him on the on the Eagles broadcast about him being a starter in this league, and he. Did two things. First of all, he had a, he had a uh, a hold, but he also had a um, illegal formation penalty where he was obviously cheating backwards to guard against the speed rush on that side. And I believe that was of Bowser on that side. And then, if I can remember correctly, Bowser also uh, uh, drew the holding call on the other side. And that's not a not a chump either. That's Andre Dillard, who's the twenty second overall draft pick this year. For the Eagles. So, I mean, he's a first round draft pick is in there. In fact, the Eagles were playing what largely was their first string offensive line, four fifths of it anyway, for much of the early part of that game. I also felt like, which which I, I wasn't, just because I haven't been at training camp every day, I've, I did make it to one, but I was wondering who was going to be setting the edge. I felt like Bowser did well there too against the run. Um, so, so one of the things so I wanted to read this quote, Bowser in the locker room after after the game uh they talked they asked him about that sack and kind of how it went down and uh i want to read this quote he goes uh because he, he blew up the, the running back you mentioned that he, he just i mean the running back was right there to pick it up and he just blew him up he goes uh he came to block me that definitely was a mistake being <laughs> a pass rusher you shouldn't have no running back being able to block you simple as that i, I read that quote because i feel like bowser has been um, and not without cause, but he's been beat up. He's been beat up in the media because he's a second round pick. You, you, the Ravens, you know, w- want him to come on earlier. Fans want him to come on earlier. Uh, not everybody lights up right away. Sometimes it takes a, a minute to, to adjust. But I bring this quote up because I think it shows his confidence growing. I want a pass rusher that's nasty. I want a pass rusher that's going to blow up these tackles that, or, or go and say, well, how dare you put a running back on me? Don't you dare put a running back on me ever again because I'm going to blow him up and I'm going to get your quarterback. That's what we want to see out of Bowser. That's what we want to see out of Tyus Williams. And these are the seeds of it. I haven't, I haven't ever heard a quote like that from him before. Yeah, it's nice. That really, that growing confidence level is fantastic to hear, and and uh, I agree with you. That's what I want out of a pass rusher. I want a guy with the moxie to try things on that edge. I don't want a guy who's going to always play it safe. But uh, right. yeah, he's he's a he's a good one. And I agree with you about the setting the edge. I think he, that's something he's done well. I also think t- Tim Williams is playing the run a lot better. I didn't think Tim Williams was playing the run better last camp, but I didn't think that translated as well during the season as he had done at camp. 
Yeah, I, I, uh, Tim Williams has never really stood out to me as, as a, as a, he just always been to me a guy that's like, see quarterback, get quarterback. So I have been pleasantly surprised by, by him being able to play the run also. Um, he, you know, he also drew a penalty. Uh, I felt like he was getting pressure all night long. I mean, really the both of them. I mean, it's, it's really tough because uh, I mean, from a fan, well, for both of them, you think back over, um, the history of this franchise, uh, I mean, can you even think of a time where there hasn't been, I mean, uh, just a game wrecker as a pass rusher? Uh, the history here of Peter Bulware and Terrell Suggs and McCrary and uh, Doomerville. And I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. And, and Suggs was here for so long, that you almost take it for granted. And then when two guys that are, you know, coming, it takes a little bit time, more time to grow. There's, they're not... They're not chumps, you know, they're, 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 they're not trail slugs, but they're not chumps. And so, you know, I, I'm sure that's been tough for them to, to come up within that pedigree. Uh, but, but hopefully, you know, we can, we can appreciate them more if, if they do have a, a, a bit of a, a breakout year. Yeah. And Bowser is still only 24. That's younger right. than Hayden Hurst was when he was drafted last year, for example. And I, I didn't look up Tim Williams' age, but, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about Tim Williams' game here. Because he had a quarterback hit. He had three pressures. He had another pressure that was negated by penalty. He had a near PD. It was the same play that actually uh, Cyrus Jones got the PD. Williams lunged after it and nearly got that PD. He forced an illegal formation by Mylotta. He was the one who got Mylotta. The other one was on Dillard. Um, and then against the run, he had one nice edge set in my notes, and he had another run tackle for a gain of one. That is a hell of an outing for the preseason game. We have a, we have a reduced number of snaps here. Williams did not enter until that third series. So they gave those starter snaps to Bowser, but mm-hmm. Williams really turned in a terrific game. And uh, and. He has been outstanding now in each of the three games. And, and you know, I had a plus game every one. And I, I think it's between him and Ricard now who has been the best player during this preseason so far. Uh, I was going to say the same thing, that he hasn't had a bad game. And that's what John, in the preseason, and that's what John Harbaugh looks for. He doesn't want to just see flashes. That's always nice. But he constantly says stack practices, stack plays, and stack games. If you can keep stacking them into the, the regular season, then that's a sign that, that you will break out. And I agree with you. He hasn't had a bad game this preseason. Yeah, great point there in terms of, of what John Harbaugh wants. Tim Williams fell out of favor last year. And the reasons were probably uh, multiple, but he reportedly came back after his injury, wasn't prepared to practice, maybe wasn't in shape, maybe wasn't into the playbook the same way. But whatever the case, Harbaugh was not angry and was salty in his responses about him. So that's a, a you know a player who probably had to earn back the trust of the coaches this year and has done a great job this preseason. Yeah, and I think that's a little bit of youth also, just n- not really knowing the level of commitment it takes to to you know excel at this game uh hopefully he won't make that mistake again yeah there you go all right it's tough to see that jaylon ferguson did not play in this game now uh this is a this is an opportunity missed you know he played well and uh and to we don't know the extent of the injury at this point and it is a, a question where, you know, the Ravens will probably carry five outside linebackers. I expect Ferguson to be the fifth. 
But, uh, yeah. you know, maybe, you know, this puts his roster spot in jeopardy if he can't go in game four or maybe they've already decided. And he's looked so good in terms of the bull rush that they think they can scheme around that and want that. So uh, anyway, I, I, I was I, sad I, that he missed the opportunity. Yeah, I saw today uh, Jeff Zriebeck reported that it was a concussion from uh, that was sustained in the joint practice. I'm not sure which one, but it was in one of the joint practices against the Eagles. So that's that's what it was. Um, concussions, you know, you never know what you're going to get with those. Um, but you know, if I were speculating, I would think that, uh, I mean, he'd at least be ready for the regular season, um, perhaps by next week, but you're right. It is an opportunity lost, but just like you, I feel like he's a lock. The Ravens aren't going to cut, uh, a draft pick like, right, uh, right. Or, or right with a concussion. I don't see that happening with, with IR. I think he's going to be on the team and I think he'll, uh, this will be a great year for him, a great rookie year where there's not a lot of pressure, where he can grow and um, pick his spots where he can we can where he can make his impact felt. Yeah, very, very good. And and you're right. If it's I'm, I'm actually very relieved to hear that if it is a concussion, then even if you were going to see him, he was going to be out a month from it, which, you know, that's a Trent Green level concussion that that he was out for what, eight weeks or whatever for with, right. with that sort of hit it still probably would be worth carrying him on the active roster for that period of time to get what you would get in the second half from a player like that. I've, I've been very impressed with what he did early and, and uh, relative to reports out of camp, I thought he had done maybe more than any other player in terms of his actual on field play. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, it's so nice to be able to, there, there's certain positions that you really don't know how they're going to be until there's real hitting and there's just not, real hitting especially going after a quarterback in any mm-hmm. practice and so to see him come out in that first preseason game because that's really you know we have such a small sample size to really see him but that first one where he he brought so much power that that bull rush i mean he needs to expand his moves but i mean he he seems to be a gamer in that sense um just just so much power so uh i'm excited to see what he can do can't wait myself. So Shane Ray is the man on the outside right now. I think we'd both agree. Last to enter in this game, as he has been in the first two preseason games as well. I think Ferguson actually might have been later or as late in that first game. But Shane Ray's gotten very few first-half snaps so far this preseason. He's been entering on the last drive of the first half or the first drive of the second half. And he just appears to be on the outside barring injury. I had him for one one pressure in this game. One other time where he kind of opened up a, a hole in the run game for a linebacker to blitz that unfortunately they didn't take advantage of. So I thought he made two good plays in this game. I just don't see how the Ravens have a spot for him at this point if everyone stays healthy. Uh, I, you know, it's... <laughs> You know, I feel, you know, there's the, there's the human side of it where, you know, I feel bad for him. Uh, from the football side of it, I, this is a first-round pick that is not standing out amongst third, third stringers. Yeah, great it's, point. It's, it's hard. If you're, if you're having to, like, squint your eyes and scratch your head when somebody says, what plays do you remember that Shane Ray made? And he's a former first-rounder against third stringers. That's, that's not a good sign. Uh, if the if if the roster was being put together tomorrow, Shane Ray would be off of it. Yeah, me. I mean, there you go. And and you compare it. Patrick Ricard is ripping up these these right. bagger opponents. I mean, it's not fair to not hold Shane Ray to a similar standard, well, even if he doesn't I, produce at that same level. And Patrick Ricard got to got the start yesterday, and he did. and he and he got what was it a quarterback hit, uh, a near fumble, 
and mm-hmm. and that was you know a a guy who plays half of his snaps on offense there you, you go. know so so you know it, it's you know i just feel you know hopefully shane ray can still get another chance elsewhere but i don't think he's going to catch on here yeah a monster of preseason there with patrick ricard let's just to continue on with him again since you brought him up so you had one quarterback hit in this game was which we just flattened the quarterback and it was actually a pass play. The other one didn't even count. So it was a second quarterback hit on that lateral that didn't even count in the stat sheet. So he, he certainly flattened okay. the quarterback on that play <laughs> yeah. and caused the loss of 10, which is every bit as good as a sack. So, uh, you know, he, sh- he certainly should have gotten credit for both those somehow. But the, the, the ways the statistics are counted do not allow for that. And he's uh, uh, certainly I could not imagine a player who has got to be more universally liked on that team in terms of the effort he puts on the field. He's just loving this game right now. You know, after some of the things that happened last year at the end of the season, some inactivity at the end of it, you know, he's getting another chance. I think it's another chance with his teammates, another chance to play football, and he's absolutely killing it. If you uh, wanted to, if somebody asked you, what does it mean to play like a Raven? I'd be like, you watch Ricard, okay? Because mm-hmm. that man... All he wants to do is go out there and hit somebody. I don't care if he's being a fullback. He is just in search of a body to hit. And once he, if he can, you know, nail you and then keep moving to the second level to keep opening up spots for his running back, he will do it. He's out there to hit somebody. What's crazy to me is he's a, he's a big man. I, I mean, I've stood next to him. His, his thighs are bigger than my waist. He is a massive, massive man. Having said that, He's still actually kind of small when you compare him to other defensive tackles. I mean, he I mean, compared to to Brandon Williams, he's on the smallish side for mm. for a defensive tackle. Um so so you know, I, he's not like going to be this run stop go- gobbling up um blockers, but he can use his bull rush, he can use his speed to go and get after that quarterback up the middle up the middle. He's just so fun to watch. Yeah, very fun to watch. I've heard all kinds of weight claims about him that range from two eighty to three eleven this offseason. So He's slimmed down to 280. He's going to try and play fullback. I mean, I, I don't. He doesn't need to slim down to play fullback if if he's playing fullback the way he is. That weight right. is fine. Whatever right. it is, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but, but and he's also obviously playing defensive line well enough, and he's slippery enough to, you know, get by the competition he's facing. You know, you you pointed out he started, and it was a it was the first string offensive line he did that to in terms of that lateral play. So right. it's, this is a this is a very impressive camp he's put on, and uh, I, I I normally I drop people from my grading system week after week once their spot is secure because this is, my grading system is really about trying to figure out who's going to make the roster and who's changing opinions and whatnot. But people want to keep hearing about Ricard, and, and so I've, I've left him on there this week. Anyway, uh, <laughs> fun player to watch. I think we'll all agree. Yes. All right, let's move on. We've got other individual performances to talk about. We mentioned Anthony Averett, but I want to go back to him for a second because some of the cornerback play is interesting here. Averett had a few slot cornerback snaps in that third quarter, and I believe it was one drive he played there. Um, I thought he played well generally in the game. Most of that was obviously on the outside, but this was a game where some other cornerbacks, and you know, in particular Stanley Jean-Baptiste, had a, 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 dang, a difficult game, gave up a touchdown. And, you know, Maurice Kennedy, who we'll talk about here in a minute, obviously didn't play his best either. I thought the fact that Averitt distinguished himself in that way against a talented set of opposing receivers was a very good sign for the Ravens. Hey, that's a really good way to put it because um, 
for me, Averett had a quiet night, but that's not a bad thing. <laughs> you know, if, if he's not getting picked on, if, uh, you know, th then, then that's good. Then they're not going his way. It was a quiet night, which in, in the context that you just laid out is a good thing because he didn't have a horrendous night to make his stock go down. Right. Right. Well, there you go. And, and I still want to know what Averett can do. I mean, Averett is a player, obviously, been around for a while, played 65 snaps, as I account for them last year. Uh, should be in line for a bigger role. Certainly could have been a player the Ravens would have been thinking of were they to have dealt Jimmy Smith in terms of getting him more playing time in what still would have been a four-man rotation had Tavon stayed healthy. But you know, he's a player, I think, the Ravens in the second year. They need to figure out what they have so they can figure out what do we need to do in terms of drafting corners next year. You know, We're going to lose Marlon Humphrey, potentially, after the 2021 season, right? I don't see yep. the Ravens letting Humphrey go for the record, but mm -hmm. I guess I guess potential. I guess it's always possible. He'll be a free agent then. It's you know you always got to consider the possibility he's going to price himself out of town. And players like Pierce and Judon, who not they haven't been able to reach multi-year deals with, despite the fact that they've been trying, will you know will let you know that you can't always sign the guy you want as so much as you want that's, to. That's true. I would still put Humphrey in a different category than those guys. I mean, Judon is a guy who I see. Uh, is more of like a right player, right price. Mm -hmm. Humphrey's a guy you don't let a cornerstone franchise player go. So you, so if this is a, you know, setting cornerback record money, and you have to remember Joe Flacco's off the books after this year, mm -hmm. um, and Lamar Jackson's still going to be on his rookie deal for, um, let's see, this is the second, so three more years. Uh, I think they're going to be able to hold on to Humphrey. I think one, because they won't want to let him go. And two, I think they'll have the cap, cap flexibility, but that's looking way down the road. And, and to bring it back to what you're saying with Averett, um, I, I agree. You want to know what you have in him. Jimmy Smith is in his final year. I don't rule out the Ravens bringing him back, obviously at a much cheaper, much cheaper cost. Uh, but I don't rule that partly because I think Jimmy would want to stick around. Um, it, people don't remember this because he's expensive now, but he actually took, a little bit of a cheaper deal than what was going at the time when he signed. Um, uh, you know, people could say, well, maybe it's because of injuries, but whatever. He probably could have gotten more money if he had tested the market. He chose not to. I think Jimmy likes the Ravens. I'm not saying they, they will, but I'm just floating it out there because I think Ravens fans are like, oh, he's gone after this year. And, and I do feel like he's a little bit underappreciated. I get, I get the injuries and all that. Um, but, but again, yeah, you, you're going to need somebody across from, from Humphrey. You've got Marshall who has been injured. You don't really know what you have there. Averett, you got to see what these guys have to, to go along with Humphrey, uh, long-term. Right. I, I like the idea of seeing what we have by rotation rather than having to force it by injury. So, you know, obviously right. most teams don't play rotate, don't rotate at corner. In fact, I thought the idea was ludicrous when they first started talking about doing it with the Ravens, but they've really made it work because they have four guys for three spots and, they, and they've been able to rotate around and get higher value snaps from that. And they've done it at all three levels. They've gotten higher effort snaps from their defensive players. But anyway, my point is that that process has allowed them to look at some players earlier. And I just wish they'd, they'd find a way to get Averett some more snaps this year, one way or another, whether they, mm -hmm. whether they have to, you know, do it by rotation or, or, uh, um, you know, figure out a way to let him just play a lot more snaps in one particular game. Uh, if, if that's the way they need to do it. But anyway, yeah. uh, I, I'm, 
I'm excited for his what he'll do this year, and I still think he could be a big performer. We need to talk about about Maurice Kennedy, who had maybe mm. the second toughest night of his career. Now, a, a little bit of his personal history between Sarah and me is I, I knew you a little bit from the late for work things you used to write. And yeah. I know a lot of the local bloggers and whatnot would look for their quotes from Twitter to be put on your late for work thing. It was, oh, wow, I'm in late for work today. Well, anyway, the, the, the other time and the last time we were talking significantly was after that 2017 season and that trying to dissect that final play of 2017 and Kennedy's part in it on the, allowing that fourth and 12 to go for the 49-yard touchdown to Boyd. Yes, I have since, I think you convinced me by the way, to come around to your side on, on that. that, that We don't need to, get, to dig too deep into that. That was a painful, painful ending yeah. to, to that season. But, yeah, that was a bad night. Um, this last uh, last night was a bad night. That, that was rough. He, he allowed three receptions on four targets for 59 yards. Mm. It, it, oof, that's, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot. It just seemed like he was a step behind he'd get juked i i mean for 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 yak yardage um you know he was he was already to me bef- bef- when when Tavon Young was healthy he was on the outside looking in when Tavon went down he was put on the bubble that performance did not help it was definitely right. definitely set him back Right, so he had, he had a he had a defensive holding call on Agadosi. Oh yeah, he, he had the, the the three completions you're mentioning. There was a ten yard completion to Arcega Whiteside, and he's a second round draft pick. So that's a it's a high quality player there in theory. But a ten yard completion to him where he got rubbed against Cyrus Jones, and I, I had to watch it a few times, but I still haven't come to it to a decision on whether it was he or Jones that really should have known to avoid that contact. It's kind of like the Weddle. And Tavon Young getting tied up in the rook in Tavon's rookie year when they had the 66-yard pass to Odell Beckham in New York, that mm-hmm. lost him the football game there. But it was it was a similar play where either one could have avoided it. But but anyway, that was that was one play. The 14-yard completion he lost Agadosi to the outside. I didn't like that. But the bad one, that 35-yard completion on fourth and two to Arcega Whiteside was 11 plus 24, and that's yeah. really too much yak to be allowing. And uh, you know, unfortunately. Uh, you know, this kind of day is coming at a bad time. He's in the the final year of his rookie deal. So he, the Ravens have no value in him after this year. So it doesn't really make sense for them to try and keep him for future years value as it would with a player like Eamon Marshall or like some of the other younger corners that they could, they could get off somebody else's waiver wire. Right. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm close to just off of my cutting him off of my 53 man as I go through it. The only reason why I haven't totally cut him off is I'm trying to figure out what's going to happen with Marshall. Yeah. You know, if, if Marshall's healthy, then I give him, give him a spot. If he's not, then that still leaves Kennedy room despite last night's poor, poor performance. Now, what Kennedy did, he played effective slot corner for half a season when he returned from IR in 2017. And we can't let that that single play where I think, you know, you mentioned it a little bit, but I really blame the scheme more than the player in that particular okay. case. That it really, I don't really blame Kennedy for that. Even though he made multiple mistakes on that final play, I think the fact that they were trying to use him as a, as a cover to safety effectively wasn't a good change of 
decision to make at that exact point in Ravens history. Let's put it that right. way. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I, I hear you. Like I said, I came around to your thinking on that one. All right. Well, let's, while we're on the corners, let's talk about Cyrus Jones. Um, he did not get the first chance, so they obviously used slot, uh, Carr to play slot corner to start this game. But Cyrus played well, I thought, in this game. And it was after he played well in the first game, obviously had a pick, also just played well otherwise. The second game, he was picked on a little bit. Didn't look as good. But this game, several plays that I really liked. I thought a good game overall. I had wondered if that that off that that game against Jacksonville. You're right; he, it was not a good game for him. Um, I had wondered if it, it was an off day for him. Everybody can have this because there had been so many. Everything I was hearing is that Cyrus was playing really well on defense in practice, in joint practices everywhere. Um, and then he had that solid first preseason game, and then he bounced back uh, against the Eagles. So. Hopefully, you know, the one against Jacksonville was was an off night because everything else from training camp to the other preseason games, he's been solid. Right. So in this game, there are two plays that really stood out to me. The one, obviously, getting into the backfield and getting by the illegal block, mm-hmm. by the way, of Matt Collins, who's not supposed to be blocking early on that play. But he, he said, we're not letting Jones in the backfield. No matter. Jones got right by him, got his hand out, knocked the ball down. Might have had an interception had he not been blocked. And... Uh, you know, very possibly a pick six, given the nature of where he was on the field there. Uh, that was one play. But there was another even better play that I think went unrecognized. So two minutes left in the second quarter, two minutes left in the half, Martindale called an eight-man blitz. So zero cover. He had three receivers. All three were covered by the only three defensive backs. And in the middle of the field, you had wide receiver Greg Ward, who's number six, covered on third and 17 by Cyrus Jones. Now, he had... Because of the length and the distance to gain, he had an ability to keep that play in front of him, but he did it extremely well. He allowed, uh, uh, he allowed, uh, sorry, Ward to make the catch. Then he wrapped up and tackled him for zero yak. And that was exactly what the Ravens needed in that. They didn't need anyone to go for the PD, make a mistake, and allow the first down. They didn't need him to, to create a penalty in that situation, certainly. But they also, also the Ravens' pass rush did not get home despite having eight. They got a little bit of pressure from Tim Williams on the play, but it was, was not enough such that Cyrus Jones could just lay back and do nothing on the play. He, did, he had to come up. He had to make a good tackle on Ward. And that was one of the really big plays of the night, I thought, defensively. Yeah, yeah, that's a good note by you. That definitely, I, it went unrecognized by me, and certainly I haven't heard much about it, people talking about it. So great, great note by you. All right, all right, thanks for that. Um, let's see, we'll move on. Let's talk Elliot. I thought, uh, you know, obviously it played very well in these first two games. Kind of a mixed set of results in this game, including a couple missed tackles. But what I'm liking out of Elliot is they're relying on him more on the back end. So I've got notes of him being on the back end and bracket coverage of him take picking up responsibility on the back end. You know, Bennett Jackson gave up one of the touchdowns, but Elliot didn't really get picked on the back picked on on the back end. And he's had good luck playing back there. Had a nice strip uh, between the hashes in the previous game. Uh, I certainly like what he's done as a run defender. And I really loved that hit he laid on that he got mysteriously flagged for uh for the lowering the helmet that that type of stuff drives me up a wall and i was watching from the um eagles broadcast they were pretty ticked off about it too because i think everybody wants clarity on on these illegal hits and that one is 
about as textbook as you can teach it. Yeah. I mean, that's one where, where Elliot goes back into the defensive room with, with Wink and Wink's like, is, is going to be like, I got nothing for you, kid. Like mm-hmm. you did it right. You know, like don't change that. You know, you got it. You got to keep doing it that way. I, I agree with you. I think I had only picked up on the one missed tackle. I didn't see that there were two, um, but, but I, but I see that mixed bag. Um, you know, I think he is still young, but I think my goodness, again, another guy that just plays like a Raven. I mean, he just hammers people. He hammers people. He goes to drive them. And I think that, that that's what, you know, fans love to see. There's this guy that's knocking people around. That's you're going to intimidate people. You're going to, you're going to scare receivers when they go, go across the field, that they're going to like, should I really extend out to go get this uh-huh. ball when Elliot's coming? I don't know if I want to, you know, that old Ray Lewis and, uh, Ed Reed kind of mentality where you kind of want to put a little fear into them and maybe have some alligator arms, things like that. He is a big hitter. And I think that he's another guy you kind of hope that he gets some experience. Um, Cause I do see him long-term with the Ravens. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a great point on the fear thing. I love a safety, particularly a deep safety who rules with fear. That's Brian Dawkins, Ed Reed, you know, Patroy Palomalo. Uh, I, I love those kind of safeties, but, but I also love the functional value of that hit because that ball was being bobbled all the way through. He went mm. for a shoulder to the ball hit and, it, and that had a good chance to force a fumble there. Didn't happen to, but that yeah. was a good opportunity there. And he took it. It didn't go for the hand shot. Uh, he may or may not have had time to think about it in the same sense in terms of how the ball is being bobbled in the guy's hands. But, uh, you know, it's it's the right play is to go with the shoulder there and not with the hand when it's being bobbled like that. Yeah, get those create those turnovers. He can he can definitely do that. All right. Uh, I think that's all the secondary guys I really want to talk about. I did want to mention Daylon Mack here. I thought had a great game on the defensive line. Now, one of the things I loved about Ricard in this game, he got the start. He deserved it from his play. He also deserved it from the fact that he's picking up for a lot of other defensive linemen who weren't available. So Brandon Williams was given the night off, and Gerald, Gerald Willis is hurt. Uh, we don't know what exactly what's going to happen with him, but it, what it meant is that Ricard had to pick up a lot of the snaps for other players, and I don't think that's necessarily going to translate to tons of regular season snaps for him. He right. may play a little more defensive line than he has the last two years, but I think it'll still be more of an emergency basis because he's so important to the offense in terms of the various ways he's used schematically there. But Daylon Mack was another guy who played a fair number of snaps in this game and really picked up the ball for some other Ravens who, who just uh, uh, you know weren't available in the game. I thought he looked really good. Obviously, I- looked- I'm sorry. I, I, Mac truck. I was pleasantly surprised. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't really even, my mind wasn't out to, you know, watching that game. There's, you know, always a list of people that you want to look for and see, you know, what, what they're going to do. But Dalen, yeah, he, Mac, Mac truck, you know, he flashed. Um, there were a couple times uh, where, you know, he just was this, this wall in the middle of the defensive line. I think overall, I mean, this is an all day line Mac, but I think what the Eagles only rushed 47 yards. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's 2. a credit to, yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a credit to all those defensive linemen, but I, but he really stood out. I think he got, um, some pressure in there. I think he got a hurry one time. And, and what's nice about this one, this is another situation. This is how, you know, the Ravens like to do it with, with their draft picks. This is another situation where, um, you've got a lot of money tied up with, with Williams Pierce is in his final contract year. I have doubts. I mean, I love Pierce, but I can't see a ton of money for two different players at the same position. So you just, what you want to see from Daylon Mack is what we, what we saw in that game. Just, just this 
slow ascension. He's got a whole year to do it. And I think the, the, the ideal scenario would be that the Ravens wouldn't have to, you know, pay a lot of money to Pierce. He could probably go get a big payday elsewhere. And then Daylon Matt kind of, kind of slips into that role. He's got, he's got the right body for it. Um, He's got the right attitude for it, and and last night was was some good flashes. I, I was very very happy with that. Yeah, outstanding night for him. I, I saw him. You know, he pushed back a lineman in the run game, then then shedded him to make a tackle. But this one story I kind of want to tell around this because the guy he drove back on that uh, you know drive back and shed play was the was Stephen Wisniewski, and if you read the Ravens boards, you'll see him coming to the Ravens about five or six times to solve the interior offensive line problems the Ravens have. I mean, over the years, the last five years, it seems like he's been available and and been a guy the Ravens could either trade from or pick up off the street or do whatever. But he's the kind of player that maybe is available. He's exactly the kind of player, honestly, that I don't really think fits against the nasty, huge nose tackles of the AFC North. And that tells me that Daylon Mack is on the right in terms (laughs) of of joining that elite group and and being a uh, a guy who's too big for some opposing linemen and too athletic for others and uh you know one of the things he comes with from uh texas a&m is is a little bit of a pedigree as a pass rusher he had five or five and a half sacks i think as a as a in his final year and uh it's uh it's good to see and it's good to see him playing well loved his pursuit uh, you know, rushing to the running to the sideline one time, another time to to take down a receiver after Elliott missed a tackle. Actually, didn't end up being a big play because Daylon Mack was right there. Uh, so, very exciting to me. The other thing I want to mention is he has a very avid following on Twitter. It's appearing. So I I always highlight individual players for my article, talk about them a little bit, and then people get to see the thing. But other players, you know, there's five or ten retweets and about ten likes, maybe. The, the thing I read about him is 12 retweets and 53 likes. <laughs> He's got a lot of family out there reading. If you're writing about the Ravens, you'd be well advised to include Daylon Mack. Well, and and I assume that you saw the the whole thing where he didn't bring uh, the Cinnamons breakfast. <laughs> and so Chris warmly filled up his truck with, what was that, a bunch of those styrofoam packing pieces? Oh, I mean, great. filled his truck to the rim. I mean, it was the the back bed of the truck, the inside of the cabin of the truck, completely full. And so, you know, Mac was like, all right, I guess I, I can't ever forget breakfast for the veterans ever again. <laughs> so there you go. That's, he's, he's fitting in well. There you go. All righty. So let's see. Who do we have left to talk about that we want to? I, I think this is the point in the show where normally we'll do a mailbag in a second, but we do a defensive MVP going three to one, kind of like hockey stars. Do you want to do that with me? Do you want to just have me do it? What do you want? I'm ready for it. Okay. My number three guy, I'm going to go with Cyrus Jones as my number three guy. I thought he stepped back up after a, after a poor game against the Packers and uh, honestly uh, looked much more like a guy who can help the Ravens in the slot. My number three was, we just talked about him, Daylon Mack. I don't need to add any more. We just talked about him. Good good choice. My number two guy, Tyus Bowser, for all the reasons we talked about early and and. Big step forward for him personally, probably the biggest step forward of any individual player. Doesn't mean he was the MVP in this game, though. I give that to someone else. Uh, my number two was uh, Kenny Young. Um, I, I feel like in that Jacksonville game, when he uh, destroyed uh, their quarterback, his name is escaping me right now. Minshew. Minshew, there we go. Uh, I think he got a lot of praise for that game. Um, for that one hit, which I get, I mean, that's an unforgettable hit, but 
I don't think overall he had a very good game. I think against the Eagles, it was the opposite. There wasn't this massive like hit or anything like that, but I, I felt like he was everywhere. I felt like he was good in coverage. I felt like he was good against the run. I think he got some pressure in there. I thought it was, I thought it was a good game for him. Yeah, I, I agree entirely with your assessment of that first game being very mixed results, but that's a, that's a good point. Okay, well, my number one guy is Tim Williams, who has been outstanding through this preseason. Uh, Ricard probably could be on this list, but the problem is that, that he'd be on the list for, for play in the second half. And Williams, I thought, uh, was just outrageously good. That's not fair. Ricard could be on this list in this game for play in the first half, but Tim Williams had an outrageous game of pressure and drawing penalties and doing all the things that the Ravens hope he can do going forward. Yeah, I, I didn't put Ricard on here either. I mean, just because he could have been on it all, all three games. Um, I, I put, it, who you already said, my number one was Bowser. I, I couldn't stop. My eyes kept being drawn to him while watching that game. I mean, he just, the pressure, the, the we talked about it all, the, the, the sealing the edge, coverage, all of it. All right, great job. Um, what do we have in the mailbag, Josh? Yeah, we've got a, we've got some questions in here. There's going to be a little bit of overlap, but because you guys have already covered so many Raven players, but uh, we're going to focus on the defense. There's a whole lot of questions about McSorley and Orlando Brown and Kenny Dixon. We'll get to those on the next episode when we get to the offense side. First question up is from Mark, who must be tired of the preseason because he's asking you if you've chosen an XFL team to follow. But he's also wondering about Shane Ray and if there's anything good that he's done this preseason. Uh, from my perspective, I, I'm not going to answer the XFL question. I don't watch the league. Uh, but but the uh, as, far, as far as Shane Ray goes, uh, yes, he's gotten a little pressure in the second half. He just hasn't met the standard of Ferguson or Ricard in terms of playing at a much higher level against second-half opponents. So I don't really see any hope for him. Nothing. He, his question was, he done, has he done anything good? I'm sure he has, but nothing that I picked up on. All right, so nothing in the games that we've been able to see. Gotcha. <laughs> That's right. All, right. All right, you covered this already a little bit with Ricard, but Davis is wondering if he'll get a significant time on the defense, and if not, and if he's that important to the offense side, why is he playing defense for preseason with risk of injury? Well, somebody's got a risk injury is my basic point there is and then so they have a limited number of defensive linemen they do have other options at fullback uh probably would in, would include using a tight end at that position like Boyle but uh you know obviously they got to get through these preseason games which you know I'm glad this one was shortened at least and that means somebody like Ricard has to has to pick up the the baton and take some of these snaps I, I've never understood the injury questions uh, whether it's Ricard or Lamar Jackson this is football. You, you, you have to play. You, you play to win. You don't play scared. You don't play to not get injured. If you don't want to get injured, you shouldn't be playing football. Um, uh, my thought on Ricard on defense, I would like to see him on uh, some obvious passing situations to get that inside pass rush. I, everything's been so glowing for him. I, I will say one thing um, on that two-point conversion uh, where the Eagles ran it in, uh, this is why I say I don't really see Ricard in, in obvious run run situations. I, I felt like they just knocked him to the side. Mm -hmm. um, he again, he's not as big of a defensive tackle. I think his strength is is getting that pass rush because he's so fast and he can and he can slip in there compared to most def, uh, you know nose tackles, defensive tackles. So uh, you know I would like to see him on a handful of occasions, um, you know, during a game on obvious pass 
passing situations. Yeah, for for the situation for the reasons you just mentioned, he's not an ideal fit anyway anywhere along the defensive line. And they 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 listed him as a nose tackle originally, but he's way too small for that. Right. As a three tech, you know, if you're talking about a Warren Sapp three tech, that's probably the closest comp for where he would play. A guy who's fast and can can move up, but doesn't have to be the biggest guy on the line to take a double team every time. He's doesn't not the right height to be a five tech in terms of being quite tall enough for that. You think of that as being a, a guy that might be six four, six five, and up. Uh, you know, Trevor Price or or uh, uh, Sealer or Wormley or are you know larger men who who are uh, uh, you know more more the mold of a typical five tech. But anyway, I I agree with you that that he's not exactly suited for it. But he's a great emergency choice, and we've talked at other times with people about the possibility of playing him in an emergency basis on the offensive line if you lost three offensive line in the game, would he be the guy you'd bring in at guard? And I'm thinking about it. I think he'd obviously have to be the choice unless you're going to pick Nick Boyle at tackle. I had never even thought that deeply into it. Um, I don't even know that he's ever practiced there. Hey, I guess I, they, should, they should, they should, I guess, try, you know, at least, cause at least Sam cook has practiced his emergency quarterback situations. I don't even know that uh, maybe he has, maybe he has, but, but that's something that he'd have to practice. <laughs> There, there you go. And you, you dress seven. You, you, you hope you can keep five healthy. But there are times when a, when a team has been forced over the years to, to to go down one. And if that were ever to happen, I remember they they were within one injury of having Matt Catula come in to be a, the offensive tackle at one That's point. That's right. And, and he's he's smallish. He was about two hundred and forty pounds. So it, it'd be it'd be nice to have an option like Ricard that's that would be more able to to take on a defensive lineman. Yeah. All right, uh, Carolyn is wondering about the slot position. Do you think someone's going to win the job, or is it just uh, by committee? Do you want to start with that one, sir? Yeah, I mean, I think we've kind of addressed it. I, I, I do think it's going to be by committee. I think that when you start the game with three corners, I think Brandon will, will be the slot guy. Uh, Cyrus, I think, is the next guy behind him. And then after that, it's just kind of certain situations, uh, testing out Averett. Um, putting in some of the safeties, Elliot, Chuck Clark. Um, but, but yeah, I do think that Carr and uh, Cyrus Jones are, are going to be the primary guys you see there. Right. If, if there's any defensive coordinator able to actually manage that kind of a situational safety play, which, by the way, if you score snaps defensively and you're trying to get participation by play, as I try to from the broadcast video for a fair number of road games, it's the, most, it's the nightmare scenario is to have rotating safeties. But anyway, this yeah. is a, this is a situation where uh, at, at least it would be would have some meaning, uh, and, and I think we're going to see some big safety this year because that's who they have. And we actually saw Matt Elam as a safety play in the on the as a slot corner for some time in in the Ravens' extreme need, obviously. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, we're going to finish up the mailbag with this question from Mig, who's wondering where this season's roster ranks compared to the last five years of Ravens rosters. Start us off, Sarah. Hmm. I got to think about this here. Where the where the entire roster, not defense. Either way, you want to take like. Yep. <laughs> Over the last five years, uh, well, since we're doing the defensive program, my goodness, but but man, it's so much more balanced. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess if you're looking at the overall roster. We still don't know what we're getting on offense. That's that's the problem. There's so much excitement. There is so much excitement. 
Uh, there's so many new pieces. I think I tweeted about this. Or I did. I tweeted about it this morning. If you compare just the last two drafts, there are so many new players, especially at skill positions, at quarterback. Over the last two years, I think I, there's like 10 in, in very significant roles that are going to be playing this year. And we don't know how they're going to look. So, I mean, I'd like to think this is going to be um, a higher scoring offense. I don't know how much more high. It'd probably be more that, that it's, um, you know, taking up or it's eating up the clock and things like that. So I think it's hard to, to compare the offensive side of the roster because we really don't know what we're going to get. So if we're just going to have the defensive side, for right now, I have to rank it below last year. I mean, that's the number one defense and you lost significant players we're all hopeful that some of these new pieces are going to just you know like earl thomas is going to make some you know that mm -hmm. eric weddle left not a big deal that these guys at inside linebacker are going to be fine that maybe terrell suggs was getting older so maybe we can make up for that um so i'd put it below that um i have a hard time looking past the, the last five years but but you know if i had to say right now i don't know that it's going to be better than last year on the defensive side of the roster but I, I like the I, I, looking to last year. I think is as far as we can reasonably go. But I like the depth at outside linebacker last year even more when they were able to trade Kamalai Correa in camp because they had so much depth there. Um, and I, I, I probably liked what we knew for sure about the players. So they have some big question marks. You know, how much can McPhee play? How much can Shane Ray play this year if he can help at all? You know, how much is what's Ferguson going to do this year? I mean, he's a big question mark. The, the, one of the reasons why the receiving core is not really thought of highly around the NFL is we just don't know that. Like you, like you said, I mean, they could be great, but so far we've seen a tremendous amount of inconsistency from Miles Boykin. Nobody's mentioned Brashad Perriman in the same breath there, possibly because Perriman is a first round pick. But Perriman had, you know, obviously some of these same issues with drops that we've seen for Boykin early in the preseason. We just hope Boykin can correct it this time. And, right. Uh, and not well, and Boykin country. didn't have a history of it in college, whereas Perriman did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, Sarah, your tweet this morning uh, did put things in perspective with the offense as it's 12 guys you listed that have been okay. drafted in the past two years or came to the team. Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews, Hayden Hurst, Orlando Brown Jr., Marquise Browns, Miles Boykin, Justice Hill, Ben Powers, Bradley Bozeman, Jalen Scott, Trace McSorley, Gus Edwards. Okay, got and four those, of those, those guys who, who are already very established after one year. Yes. Yes. Yes, it is a new era on offense, but this is not what this podcast is about, but it's exciting. <laughs> right. All right, well, the Film Study Mailbag, you can get your questions in and kind of steer direct the show by using the hashtag Film Study Mailbag on Twitter or commenting over on filmstudyravens.com. Uh, the final question in the mailbag by, I think it's four or five different people, is, Sarah, what are you up to now? You've been away from the Ravens for a year, so that's a good transition to do with some outros and plugs and all that, so... Uh, well, yeah, I, I left the Ravens after 13 years. I was there for 13 years, started in 2005 as an intern. Um, and, uh, you know, my role just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think that, um, that, that time that you, you had mentioned at the very top, um, the man of the crowd podcast at that time, when I was doing the man of the crowd podcast, I was pregnant slash had my fourth baby. I was doing, you know, the TV I was the editor of the website, and I was doing late for work, and and then juggling four children. Uh, last year, my husband had finished his training, 
his medical training and we had moved to Ohio, uh, the Ravens had offered me to continue to write late for work. And I decided that uh, with us moving, I I wanted to go ahead and take a step back for a brief season of my life to enjoy (laughs) my four children and not to be juggling uh, you know, a massive job that I loved, but I really uh, wanted to spend some time with my children. So right now, I've taken a complete step back. This is the first radio show podcast that I've said yes to. I've been asked to come on in a few. Um, so maybe I'll start ramping up uh, a little bit more. But right now, I'm just on Twitter commenting on it. Ravens are still in my blood. So that's why I'm still following and watching. But uh, I'm just enjoying this season of my life with my kids. I, I am loving this talk as I see in the background you doing this show from your car. And <laughs> yeah. We already talked in our production meeting beforehand that you needed to do that to escape your children. So. That's correct. That's My husband's watching them, but I knew if I was in the house, they would still find me. So I I had to get out of the house, and I'm just a couple blocks away from my house. (laughs) (laughs) I actually had to drive away. That's We so appreciate you taking the time for us, Sarah. It has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, Your your knowledge is outstanding, and and we definitely would love to have you come back during the season at least once more if you you can find the time for us. For sure. I would love it. Ken, I think you guys do great work. All right, and make sure you're following Sarah on Twitter. S. Gellison is your Twitter handle. And Ken, S.G. Ellison, right? Oh, S.G. Ellison, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, All right. And Ken, you've got a new post over on filmstudyravens.com. And then, of course, I know we've got the offense uh, podcast coming out in the next day as well. Right. So busy week of activity on the new website, filmstudyravens.com. If you go there, you'll see the defensive grades are there now. And that contains some of the stuff you've heard us talk about and, and, uh, you know, Sarah, extend well in this episode, but uh, also includes additional players who are on the fringe of the roster, may figure into decision-making. This podcast will post uh, there tomorrow. Uh, You know, if you're hearing this, you've already gotten it somehow before then. But anyway, uh, that's the general order of things. It'll be the second day after the game that that posts. Then we'll do, do an offensive article. That'll post the following day. And then an offensive podcast. This week, it'll be Jonas Schaefer. Want everybody uh, from the sun, uh, Great guest and insider, and we really hope you'll get your uh, questions into Film Study Mailbag for Jonas and maybe maybe focus on some insider questions, not necessarily scheme questions that you want me to answer, but maybe what does Jonas know about what's going on inside the building? Uh, so that'd be a good one. And then, uh, I, as always, I'll probably do something about the offensive line or another sub-scoring project for later in the week that'll uh, that'll be there. So check back on film, at Film Study Ravens or at filmstudyravens.com uh, all during the week for new material. All right. Well, that's great. Well, uh, this has been a good hour-plus episode, really digging into the defense. Uh, Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Ken. And we'll talk again soon. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. 
like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.